Hello, Gapier Universe. I'm Margot Brookfield. And I'm Julia Rogers. Welcome to Gapier Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life changing Gapier adventure. Today on the pod, we are going to talk about every college student's favorite topic sex. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to get specific, we are going to hear from Sarah Burden, a sex educator and the founder of The Elemental Self. And we're going to talk about how to think about sex and sexuality on a gap year. Julie and I have been really excited about this episode in particular, just thinking about, you know, this season we're really honing in on specific topics as they relate to the gap year student and gap year planning. And, um, you know, instead of looking at programs or opportunities, more of these kind of maybe philosophical ways of looking at your gap year. And this is something that at 18, 19, 20, or whatever age someone is taking a gap year, this is something really important to consider in terms of personal health and safety and mental health and all of those sorts of topics. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons why we wanted to focus on this particular topic is because it's something that a lot of students don't get enough of an education around in high school. You maybe get a day of it or a session of it in your college orientation. And, you know, it's something that it is the just like everything else you experience on your gap year. you know, coming into your own sexuality is a natural part of becoming an adult. And it's really worth dedicating some time and space to be thinking about it in a deliberate way on your gap year. And especially with someone like Sarah, who this has been the bulk of her work and who, you know, really is an expert within this topic. And so really excited to have someone who has been so intentional about these conversations and this work within their professional career to open that space for us to talk about this in the context of a gap year. I mean, wait till you hear just how she talks about sex. She is such a wise person. And I feel like I'm learning so much from her just through these conversations as well. And just like reorienting my thinking around sexuality in this moment of emerging adulthood. So such a powerful person to be talking about this with us. You're going to come away with a lot more insight. And for parents or educators listening on the call, please take this episode and use it as a jumping off point for your own conversations uh, within the realm of your own influence, because I think that that's another really important part of this conversation is inviting other people who are trusted adults into the conversation as well for our gap year students. 100%. And something that I think is often sort of not talked about as much in our society, as you mentioned, Julie, often not really given much, much time or space in school and is such an important thing that we all need to get more comfortable in talking about and having important dialogue with, especially with our young, the young people in our lives. So super excited for this episode today. Yeah, let's talk about sex. <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So talking about sex and sexuality is not always the top priority in the context of gap year planning. Why do you think it's important that we frame sexual health alongside other common topics around gap year development, like personal growth, confidence building, career exploration, all of those other things? Yeah. I mean, I think sexual health and development is what we're really talking about is development of a whole person and when we're talking about gap year students at that particular threshold between high school and college give or take a few years we're in such ripe territory around sexual identity formation and 
the threshold of coming out of more structure into more real world scenarios and interface with the world at large and identity formation and engagement with life and people and passions and the world and our sexual identity and like our sexual world is I think it's one of it's one of the core pieces of who we are I think it's it's one of the less sort of paid attention to and seen realms of development in the whole person but that really runs at the center of a kind of like deep intimate river of our own of our own um of our own relational landscape of our own connection to our bodies and the way we inhabit our bodies in our feeling of confidence relationally whether that is extending all the way into sexual like explicit sexual interactions or even just an ability to engage in like intimate relational contexts with a wide variety of people i think it's it's something that the more we ignore it the larger the sort of shadow and elephant in the room grows and i think i think it's specifically a united statesian blind spot i don't think well it's like i'm not going to try to speak to every other culture but there is a very particular way especially in our mentorship and our communication with our young adults and yeah with our young adults yeah i mean i was going to say that many americans have at best awkward yes. conversations about this and at worst non-existent relationships totally with sex and sexuality i mean why do you think this is and what what are the problems you see in americans framing sex i mean it go i think the roots are deep all mm-hmm. the way into like whoever is the person talking about sex is absolutely transmitting their own relationship to sex their awkwardness their fear their shame their panic if that's their own child their overprotectiveness or if the other end of that spectrum can swing to um a sort of laissez faire boundaryless kind of place and all none of that is helpful in terms of uh, of like having this conversation I think we're in a really unique position in this country caught between and this is something I speak to in both of my TEDx talks that has become really clear to me in my work with young people is we're really caught between a puritanical based in like the roots of the co- the colonial the colonial roots of our mm. American culture a puritanical lens of really having a great fear of sex and a desire to eradicate sexual desire altogether and or to be using that really for elements of control and power in a patriarchal way puritanical shame repression silencing and that is bouncing right off of what happens when we put something in a shadow which is the over expression of that in a pornographic pornographic culture pressure oversexualization i mean the level of oversexualization used to sell everything in in this country in terms of capitalism is huge we're always being confronted with a sexual edge and and at the same time there's an undertone of shame and repression and silence and 
I mean, you know, this isn't the place to go like way deep into the roots of that, but I think <laughs> we are we are really in a unique place and our young people because of their access to the digital world and because of the prevalence of pornography as a, as what is being used as a sex educator. That is where young people are turning to answer their questions that we are answering for them. Right. Yeah, that's a very um, astute observation that that is where a lot of the sexual education is happening in our country. It's online. It's 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 in the background. It's in the shadows. It is not being done in an open, wise and I don't know, positive way. Almost. It's very mm -hmm. it seems very reactionary and dark in dark in the, in the shadows kind of thing. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's creating healthy outcomes for our young people either. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, we have sort of like abstinence only education, STD education, pregnancy education, consent education, which of course consent is one hundred. There is no like non-consensual sex is not, I don't even want to call it sex. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like sex is absolutely consensual, but the way that that conversation is being held largely is about language and handbooks and legalities. And that also does not translate into the lived experience of bodies of young people and adults engaging sexually. So we have, you know, our attempts at sex education are so reductive and so um, compartmentalizing that I think we're not setting, we're not setting anyone up for anything. And then on the other side of that, we have nothing and then if left to our own explorations as people, as sexual beings who want to explore and want to understand our bodies and our desires, if we have like free range to what is on the internet, what we are stumbling across is sometimes useful, like in a very narrow margin, sometimes feels human, sometimes feels humane, sometimes feels like feeds us in a way that is positive, but most of what we will stumble upon if left there is, I would say, like deeply harmful and misleading and not actually in line with what is a truer, what is a truer like desire of learning. And I do want to say, Julia, I'm not talking about a moral, a moral judgment of pornography. This has nothing to do with a moral judgment of pornography. It has to do with what is largely depicted in a multi-billion dollar industry of like that is not representative of what happens between bodies mm. in true sexual relationship yeah and i'm sure that any listener who is you know listening right now can tell that you are coming at this from a place of deep knowledge and thought yourself but you're also one of those people who is in a unique uh place because you have lived in this world as a traveler as a um, experiential educator who has worked with gap year students and as someone who has then facilitated workshops and other types of learnings around around this topic so tell us a little bit about your own journey and how you've become so passionate about this particular subject mm, that's a good question um, <laughs> i'm like oh let me retrace that right <laughs> yeah we all we all get here somehow right <laughs> totally i mean i think the, mo the, the most personal thread of this for me is that like I'm the educator I needed when I was 15 through 25 that I didn't have. 
I'm the person now having a conversation that I needed so deeply and got so, like, got no sex education, got no actual guidance in that department, had no spaces to actually express vulnerability or questions or um, curiosities. Nowhere where I was being given accurate maps of like physical anatomy and bodies to understand what was happening in my own body. And that was a setup for me to start exploring sexually with a fundamental baseline experience of something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. My body's supposed to be doing something that it's not doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like there's some, something that I'm supposed to know that I don't know, but where was I supposed to learn that? And fumbling through sexual interactions, starting in my teenage years, walking away feeling like even deeper senses of kind of like shame, confusion, non-communicative um, sexual interactions. And it just became more and more kind of like everyone was existing inside of some code of silence and pretending they knew what was going on or what they were doing. And so instead of you know, trusting what my body was doing, trusting what my body was feeling and being able to guide my partner to actually engage with me in a way that was pleasurable to me, I was defaulting to feeling like, well, I'm certainly not the authority in the room or the person that knows the most about my body. This person might know what's going on. And so I will just pretend, pretend I'm having a good time. I will ignore and divert and push down the emotions and sort of the instincts and intuitions I'm having for things I want to say or ask for or that I want to stay here or leave here. And so I had a very kind of like, I would say, unguided, painful formation of my own sexual self. And when I you know, I sort of found my way in, in, a, in a roundabout way into studying sexuality through some Eastern traditions and a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of movement traditions and, and things. And I also, you know, for at this point, 23 years have been an educator in like an experiential capacity and have so much passion for what happens in an educational setting that is not in a classroom, that is not academic, that is boots on the ground, really a lived experience of developing skills of learning how to ask good questions, learning how to be in the unknown and not know what's going on, especially in cross-cultural contexts where we don't know the language or the culture happening around us. And learning that and having these experiences as an educator in both wilderness therapy as well as um, in my work with Where There Be Dragons in gap year settings, um, these profound learning containers with a group of students over a summer or a semester and the kind of honesty and relationship building and emergence of what I would call like the truer selves that we are that could happen in a container that was not just teaching to academia, that was teaching to communication and being in our bodies and learning independence and exploring the unknown and being with hard questions, being with deeply hard questions traveling and necessary questions traveling in a cross-cultural context 
understanding our own location in the larger sphere. And so I, as I started working with adults around teaching sexuality, was, uh, was, was being sought out because of my work with dragons to develop um, some kind of translation for gap year students and really realized quite passionately that like the role of a gap year, organized gap year education and any kind of mentorship program or experiential ed program with students is such, it's about mentorship and really mentoring the whole person. And that's, those are powerful containers for including sexual education in. We don't usually include sex in conversations we're having about emotional intelligence, emotional maturity, accountability, cross-cultural translation, um, all of these places, you know, and I think I found that it was my work as an experiential educator that actually made me a really good sex educator because I wasn't just attuned to the inf information. <clears throat> I was really attuned to things like setting a tone, creating a container, reading the room, like all the things that happen in experiential ed contexts and realizing this was such a ripe moment to be working with young people and bringing this conversation in in an integrated way to a big like life development experience they were having. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of a gap year as a container for all types of personal growth, including, you know, one's sexual evolving and, and growth. Mm -hmm. You know, what does this look like in practice on a gap year program in your experience versus like a student who's doing an independent gap year? Because those are going to be very, you know, they're, I take your point that like for these more facilitated programs, especially ones that fully recognize the importance of including this type of conversation on program, that's going to look one way. And then a student who's kind of doing a, a self-design gap year is going to be still thinking and facing a lot of these issues, but they may have to facilitate it on their own. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, you're kind of naming it. They're really different experiences. One with a pretty guided container and the other a more self-guided like exploration. Mm. I think. Although I guess what I, I guess I should say too, that like, I would say that most of the gap year programs that I know about and work with, they may, they, there may be a light touch of this subject mm -hmm. and it's probably going to be mostly around consent or rules of engagement on program, whether there's rela relationships allowed, relationships not allowed. And I don't know how deeply these programs are actually going into sexual health and sex positivity and those kinds of topics. So I think almost the question is what can students do to kind of uh, advocate for those kinds of conversations or that kind of learning within a gap year program context where they're with a cohort or if they're on their own? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think it, you know, we, we may as educators think we've done our due diligence if we've talked about the rules and our consent and, and consent, and we haven't. We haven't actually gone the distance that the students in front of us are really hungry for. So I'll first speak to that, to that mm -hmm. container as, you know, all of the things that we're developing in a, in a gap year or a student who's on an independent gap year, um, that they themselves are developing without necessarily like a facilitated container, which would be a greater sense of self, learning how to communicate with a wider variety of people, 
learning how to read across cultural contexts, learning how to be okay with questions, open questions that may never ever have a solid answer, learning how to put oneself in new scenarios, but be able to differentiate the difference between this is a new scenario that feels unfamiliar and vulnerable and like a good learning edge to me. And this is a new scenario that something here does not feel right. Mm. And I need to develop inside of myself the difference between an instinct and intuition that's saying this doesn't feel right and a sort of like learning edge that actually expands us and into a growth zone. Um, but I think, you know, all of these All of the things that make us whole people are really important in the sexual interaction, like communication, being able to ask questions, reading the room, being able to be in unfamiliar territory. I mean, I'm repeating myself here, mm. but like to recognize that the development of our whole selves is the development of our sexual self and part of the disservice the lack of or the sex education in this country has done for us is made us feel like we have to compartmentalize who we are in the sexual sphere. So as soon as I'm engaging sexually, I threw, throw out the window my capacity for communication and checking in with a person I'm standing next to, my capacity for like feeling into my body and understanding where I do or don't want to be, to apply the same kinds of critical thinking exercises and open spaces for conversation without judgment, without, um, you know, with, with a real space for differing views around things like gender identity formation, sexual orientation, socialization of gender, like to be like, I, I would like to have a conversation in this group around what do we feel like we've inherited in our gender scripts? Mm. What do we notice happening in, in wherever we are around gender scripts? What, do, what feels like a place where I actually put on a game face and start maybe not being so authentic because I'm trying to live up to some inherited script around gender or sexuality that I, that I have had? What you're kind of talking about is actually making me think a little bit about my own gap year experience, which listeners may remember that I spent a year in Tanzania and I was actually a sexual reproductive health educator, mm -hmm. but I was not you. <laughs> I mean, this was, I was, we were basically in charge of delivering the governmental issued health curriculum in public schools in Tanzania. So we had a lot of layers to unpack because we were coming in in a different cultural context as international volunteers, but we were partnered with domestic Tanzanian volunteers. So mm -hmm. we did have this collaborative effort of like kind of unpacking how we were gonna deliver these very delicate and vulnerable sessions about HIV AIDS transmission, about women's empowerment, about rape culture, like to, to you know, 15 year old Tanzanians who had a completely different um, mindset around those issues because of the exactly what you were saying before, puritanical colonialist culture, right. um, a lot of religious stuff that kind of came in as well as traditional and 
historical values that were, you know, prized pre-colonial times. So like there was a lot of things going on, but in, in the training that we did, and we did a month of training before we were even allowed to step foot in a classroom. So I think that that was, you know, that definitely speaks to kind of the program itself in that we, they did want us to know what we were talking about and know how to deliver it in a culturally uh, respectful manner. But at the same time, it opened up all sorts of interesting questions for the international volunteers to be asking of themselves and amongst each other. So I think that I had my most formative conversations around sex positivity and around like gender identity on that program mm. unfacilitated amongst our cohort because mm-hmm. we were you know, that was the first time I had heard about sexual orientation as a spectrum. I was 23 mm-hmm. years old. Like, totally. that's insane. Like, that's insane. <laughs> totally. And I think that, like, luckily nowadays, I think that just because of the, the the more positive media stuff that's out there as far as, like, what teens are watching on traditional TV and, you know, internet stuff that's, you know, in the forefront is a lot more just open about mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. So I think that people are working with a lot more language and knowledge now. Um, but it's still kind of interesting to think back to that time and how formative that was in my own ideation of sexual identity. Totally. I think there's really ripe conversations that want to be had there. And, you know, it does get into a little bit of like a a conversation around like the scope of practice, right? Like asking Mm -hmm. people to be sex educators who haven't, who haven't been trained to be sex educators, which is why, you know, and it's just this is my way of of kind of speaking to this point it's why i created an actual digital curriculum for gap year and mentorship programs so that i was the one delivering the content mm-hmm. but the person in the room was the one facilitating the conversation because they know those students they know their location they know the tone of the group like all they don't have to become a person that all of a sudden can be a sex educator but they can participate in the facilitation with the sort of skills they have as an as an educator and and that's that's not to say all those conversations need to be necessarily facilitated but i do think the the overall inclusion of understanding that the development of our sexual selves and identity is a part of that age great that age group of a gap year experience that that's going to potentially include depending on what the context and the rules and the desires are, at least some exploration mentally, emotionally, if not actually physically, and um, helping to create an atmosphere that doesn't engender pressure, any kind of pressure that someone has to be more sexual, express differently sexually than than feels really true to them authentically in order to be actually in their sexual authenticity and at the same time doesn't engender a sense of shame and repression. Mm. And that is this really delicate balance of how do we make room for even the places that are unknown to our own selves, that are deeply private and vulnerable places that are in an active exploration. And as soon as we start talking about it, maybe the words don't even quite hit it. Maybe Mm. we still need more time inside in a sort of like uh you know gestation phase before we come out to speak that or explore that and so i think for for students as well as educators it's like to hold your peers and your students and each other and yourselves with a can we hold ourselves in an atmosphere where we're not pushing 
into a place that it doesn't feel true and we're not we're also not withholding and and holding back out of shame or some kind of repression yeah i mean then we get into like all the millions of differences of of the rules on programs but that's like that's just part of context i think right well, you know, I think that we're we're talking about this issue with each other, but I'm curious if you can like speak to a listener right now who is a gap year student or about to go on their gap year. Mm-hmm. And like can you talk to me as if you're talking to one of them and kind of define what what how you would characterize like sex positivity and how one can cultivate it on their gap year. And I guess like I just wanted to I want you to uh, um I I want that listener to kind of be able to kind of take some of that wisdom that you were just sharing, but kind of see how it might internalize into themselves. And so I want to try that as like an exercise if you'll you'll humor me. (laughs) No, I love that. Yeah, I would say the first thing to do in any context around sexuality is to tune into your body and to not let this be an intellectual sort of identity politics conversation, that your body is the place where everything about sex and honestly about your life lives and can you tune into your body and get honest with what is actually true and real for you when we even start talking about sex what is true and real for you around your desires around your potential shynesses around your vulnerabilities around your questions around what is actually true for you that you can register in your body through emotional tone, through sensation. And I want you to feel like whatever that is, is totally okay. And welcome here. Like there, and that is, an, that is a span that includes all ranges of sexual history, sexual orientation, gender identification, desires, fears, all kinds of things. And to start with from a place of just where you are right now isn't supposed to be anywhere else. And then from there to recognize that we all have sort of like we haven't been taught and that that isn't a personal problem. That we all walk around feeling like there's something we're supposed to know that we don't know and that the further place that can go is that there's something wrong with us for that. But to actually, instead of pointing the finger back on ourselves, feeling like something's wrong here, to turn back around and actually look at the larger cultural pieces of like, I wasn't given a place to learn this and that is not my fault. And we're all feeling our way in the dark around sexual worlds and health your own connection to your own emotional world, your ability to communicate about your emotional world, your capacity to feel your body and to know and trust what's happening in your body as the first authority is the most important thing. What you're feeling is what you're actually feeling. I think the thing I most wanna say is like, you can trust yourself. Mm. You can really, really trust yourself And all sort of efforts given to trusting yourself more and more and learning to discern instinct and intuition between what feels really good and what's a good kind of edge or an edge that might need something different or be pulling you away from a place. I think um, 
that's like the first place I'd start, Julia. The, I mean, it's funny because it's like the simplest concept. Yes. And yet why is this so difficult for us as a society to like comprehend totally. and accept and embrace? I mean, but I think that what you said before is so true too, that um, a gap year naturally allows a student to mature, to come into themselves, to develop that sense of self-awareness and self-confidence that has that direct connection to trusting oneself yes and, and, and understanding that intuition is the best thing to listen to um and yeah even when i'm talking about um, personal safety on a gap year i, I just yeah. did a TikTok video about this recently where i said you know my number one safety tip is to tune into your intuition yeah when you are in a new place because that those little spidey senses especially i feel like for women can are, are just finely tuned from eons of being in danger (laughs) and um but in this sense it's also the positive intuition it's also the listening in that positive way but it can also be a safety alert alert system as well right so that you can feel like free to explore because you know how to trust yourself Mm -hmm. that you know that you're exploring with people who are worthy of that exploration and that you can differentiate, like intuition lives in the body, desire lives in the body, pleasure lives in the body, consent lives in the body. All of that lives in the body. And that's where we have to be able to tune into, to be able to trust ourselves more so that we can actually have more expansive, real sexual explorations and exchanges where we're not trying to be something that we're not or push down and ignore things that are coming up and pretending they're not there. Mm, Yeah. You know, I also want to bring the parent voice, I guess, into the conversation because I'm sure that, I mean, I know for a fact that this is something that parents worry about. I think that the subtext when I talk to parents a lot of the time, when they talk about risk or safety, especially if they have daughters, and I know that I, I don't want to say that that's only their concern or that women are the only ones who need to worry about this, but I think it's something that I hear particularly on the parent side of things. But what advice do you have for parents of gap year students, male, female, gender nonconforming parents who are looking at this from more of a fear-based perspective of wanting their kids to have healthy sexual encounters or maybe just feel completely freaked out by the whole letting their kid out into the world kind of concept? Uh-huh, totally. I mean, I think the thing I would say to parents is I think one of the most important things you can do is to create a real, like an actual open door of communication and honesty with your child. And if you know that you don't have a dynamic in place where that is possible, to make sure that they have one, that they have a person who is an adult, who is a person that is a trustworthy kind of mentor person that they can have these conversations that they can pick up the phone and call about an interaction they're not sure of about a crush that they have about and I'm not saying that every student is going to want to go to their parents with this kind of thing but knowing that that you have created an open door for honesty is is way it is risk management that's the thing I, I, I want to point out to parents is that sex education is risk management. Mm-hmm. Open communication and a door of honesty between you and your, and your child is risk management. And whatever kind of like, and, and this is also to like parents, is like you also have to be honest about 
where, what's true for you in this conversation and like own that because your student, your child's going to feel if you're faking it or pretending or like, and if it can't be you being okay with pointing them to someone that you know that they have that kind of interaction or that kind of relationship with. Mm. I mean, exploration, I think our, our caution and our boundaries and our protection of our young people and, and each other is, it's understandable given what I think we know can go awry in this sphere and in such a vulnerable, intimate sphere. That is like warranted, but that kind of like fearful helicoptering or sort of panic feeling doesn't create an atmosphere that is going to help the actual inner personal development that will be useful, whether that is truth-telling around an interaction or around a desire or around a question or if there has been something that hasn't felt, you know, that has felt like a violation, that is really important that that student can talk about that. And to not feel like they've done something wrong for wherever they stand in this landscape in terms of um, gender, sexuality, expression, all of it, to not feel like they have done something wrong. Unless, I guess, I need to put the caveat here, unless that is someone on an end of non-consensual sex, mm -hmm. that that is a line. And that is like a non-negotiable line in this conversation if we're really talking about what sex is. Yeah. And that's, I think, an interesting opportunity. I, I don't know. Like, do you think it's a parent's... Um, responsibility, um, especially if they're a parent of like a male identifying student to talk about like their responsibility to people that they might have sex with or have sexual encounters with about around consent. I, I mean, I do. I think it's, I think it's better than not having the conversation. I definitely think it's, it's a worthwhile conversation to have mm -hmm. around around that responsibility, around that like awareness of one's own body and self, around the fact that consent is not a transaction, mm. that consent and that it is not a word. It is not just getting a word. It is actually an entire embodied experience of being able to be in relationship with the person in front of you and to be able to read all kinds of things happening and that's i don't mean don't worry about consent because you you thought all signs were pointing to yes i mean like i mean be a whole person in a relationship with the person in front of you yeah. and 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 i have to i guess i have to bring in s the use of substances I, w I want to bring in the use of substances around this conversation mm. that one of the setups for young people and not young people around sex is that the more insecurity, shame, repression, pressure, the more there's something operating that feels like I'm not okay. I can't, I'm, I, I can't be myself. I don't trust myself. The more those things are operating in the sexual sphere, the more substances are necessary in order to engage somewhere 
that that person would never feel comfortable engaging if they were sober. Mm. And that is when substances get really used is, is they get recruited to sort of like blow past all of one's own actual boundaries, all of one's own emotions, a person's actual communications, because there's such a like schizophrenic experience happening inside where we're being bounced between pornography and puritanism mm -hmm. and this, this like this whole ping pong that substances then almost get recruited so that we leave our bodies enough to do what we think we're supposed to be doing or what the culture has told us that we want to do, or some part of us wants to do, but some part of us isn't quite sure about, and we, we don't quite know how to communicate about that. Mm. Oh, that's such an important point, I think. I, I think if you're, a, if you're a student or a parent or a program provider listening, like sit with that idea for a minute, and especially the students listening, because I think that really interrogating why people are drinking or why people are using substances as a way of a numbing agent is really uh, something that you need to think hard, long and hard about as you get into your, your gap year in college years, for sure. Yeah, and again, it has nothing to do with a moral judgment about substances or intoxication. Right. It's like, really, how is that getting used, especially in the sexual sphere? Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And, you know, I, I do was I was wondering, you know, if you have an example of a time when you were leading a gap year program where you felt like you were a part of a really healthy and vulnerable conversation around sex and like what that looked like to you. I know we might be we might be going back in the files a bit a ways. <laughs> you know, what's interesting, Julia, is that mm -hmm. I started doing this work after I was a gap year educator. And so mm -hmm. my experience actually is that I was a part of programs where this wasn't a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think these, these, I mean, I guess that's just it. These weren't conversations that we were having. I will say that some of the most profound experience I have had is when I started the body of sex, um, that was a really grassroots effort of education with college students that was born directly out of my students from my time in gap year or my, my gap year students with wherever there be dragons. And that having conversations with those students on campus was a completely different kind of conversation than I was having with students and there's no, there's no judgment in this. It's just an awareness. It was, it was such a more nuanced, depthful, honest, profoundly enlightening conversation of self-awareness than it was with students that went right from high school to college. Mm -hmm. Those students were, had such a powerful capacity to apply all that they had experienced in their gap year to this conversation in a really powerful way. And that was really profound to me. I think it's partly what sparked me to realize that, oh, on gap year programs and in experiential ed settings, this is where we need to be championing so much of this conversation with educators who are in a role of mentorship and not just an academic kind of teachership. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry I can't actually 
reference a, a conversation on a gap year no, because I wasn't having them. Yeah, no, I think that that's almost a more interesting yeah. answer. Uh, sure. So, um, you know, I want to also just ask a little bit more about where, where you're at now with life and business. I, I know that there was, there's been a bit of a cocooning and reemergence happening in your life. And, you know, you're leading some uh, backpacking trips and you're doing these really cool sounding webinars and workshops and things like that. And you've got new projects brewing. So tell, tell people what you're up to. What's coming down the pike for you? Well, I am always up to leading wilderness trips for female-identified people. That is one of my favorite things to be doing. Um, I, in terms of my sex education work, I feel like right now my work is to actually consolidate so much of the curriculum that has developed over the last eight years in this realm into a really accessible, findable digital curriculum for students themselves, for adults, and also that will be available to gap year programs and educators, as well as anyone who finds themselves in a mentor position with a group of young adults or teenagers, mm -hmm. to be able to not have to be the sex educator, not have to be an expert out of your scope of practice, but be able to bring this conversation in and facilitate in the way that you do, in the way that you do best. And so I've just gotten to a point where I've realized that, like, I love my campus visits. I love working with students directly and in person. And there's just a need for a, for a place, young people to go, to get a different voice that includes everything I'm talking about here in a sort of slow, comprehensive way that then can even be a, a little bit of a of a back support when they find themselves cruising on the internet and find different material that they're, they can take and leave what is useful or not there, but that's not the baseline tone that's getting communicated to them about sex if it's something that's not positive. Yeah, I would say I'm doing a lot on the back channels to try to make some of this more organized and available in a way more widespread way. Yeah, well, I think that every young person could use a Sarah. <laughs> so I'm really excited that you're scaling your information and your approach because I think it's it's something that um, I find that the way that you speak on this is comforting and empowering. And I've always thought that whenever I've heard you talk. Um, and so I think it's, it's wonderful that it's going to be available to more people in the near future. Well, thanks, Julia. I hope yeah. I hope it, it will come to fruition. Yeah, well, you know, and thank you for coming on the show and thank you to everyone out there who is listening. And I'm going to tell people where to find you too now. So uh, you can find Sarah on Instagram at the elemental self or online at the elemental self.com. And as she mentioned, Sarah's working on a digital, a digital version of the body of sex course for individuals set to be released later in 2023, as well as curriculum designed specifically for gap year programs. So if you're gap year program listening out here, you can reach out to her as well. And um, it's also can be used for, you know, appropriate for anybody in the experiential education and mentorship world. Uh, for more info, you can contact Sarah directly through thebodyofsex.com as well. And you can find us here at Gap Your Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Your Radio or online at gapyearradiopodcast.com. 
You can email us your gap year questions or comments on the show at gapyearradio at gmail.com. And lastly, you can download the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd really love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so more people can discover the show. Now, Sarah, this is actually a total um, ambush, <laughs> but we um, we usually close out the show in a foreign language or dialect. Um, do you have any in the back pocket that you can yank out for this uh, for this purpose? We usually just say like goodbye, thank you, and goodbye that kind of thing. But um, yeah, what do you say can you play us out in a in a fun? Uh, foreign language or dialect that means something to you? Yeah, bisa, saya bisa. Terimakasih banyak dan sampai jumpa dan dada. Thank you so much. That is Bahasa Indonesia. That's the only other language I speak. Thanks so much for having me, Julia. Thanks for this show. 